Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At the moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Thank you, Christy, for uh, leading us through today's passage, Acts 5, 1 through 11, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, that was uh, wonderful. Uh, it's just a, it was kind of a funny thing that happened while we were filming, while we are filming. Uh, our friend uh, from CrossFit dropped by. We just I see her pull up. And we just started the service and I'm like, oh, do we have our first like cornerstone visitor, you know, come for the live stream? Uh, but actually it was just a friend who wanted to encourage us and they dropped off some muffins from Muffins on Main. Like that's like the best surprise ever. So shout out to her, a shout out to Muffins on Main. Um, it's cool how we can continue to experience community uh, even during um, this time of social distancing. So uh, I just want to say a prayer and Thank God for her. Thank God for uh, our time together this morning. And uh, so let me let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for friends, um, muffins, muffins on Main, um, our church family, Lord, uh, people that want to encourage each other during this time. I pray that you would uh, be honored in the rest of our service and uh, that you would uh, speak through me, through this iPhone uh, and into the, the lives of our congregation, our church family, Lord. And would somehow I be an encouragement? Uh, would the Holy Spirit challenge, convict, encourage, do whatever the Holy Spirit needs to do in our hearts today? Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're actually going back to our series on Acts. So you may remember way back before everything happened, January, February, March, we were going through Acts, a series called Outward Church. And we're going to continue in Acts today, trying to get, regain a, sen a sense of normalcy, but also just I think it's, it's, it's encouraging for us. Uh, it speaks to our hearts. It speaks to our lives. And hopefully we'll find something in here that can um, teach us more about God and then also teach us more about what we're going through and, and how God calls us to live in times like this. Uh, so it's not as topical as some of our previous weeks have been, kind of dealing with everything, but we might find that to be refreshing. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. And we're talking about the story of Ananias 
and Sapphira. And this is an odd story. This is a kind of a weird story. It's almost a scary story, like one of those stories that you tell your kids to scare them uh, into obedience. Uh, but I think the Bible has like a different uh, plan in mind. I think the Bible has a different intention. And it tells us a lot about God's like holiness, about God, who God is in his character. Now to be holy means to be set apart, right? And when you think of holiness, what you probably think of are things like, uh, you know, a big, beautiful cathedral. Uh, you know, there is something awe-inspiring. Cathedral or a gorgeous church building. Now, you also might think of something like a cemetery. A cemetery is a place where we bury those that we love and care about. And uh, like the cemetery near my house, uh, it has a sign that says something like no running, right? We're not supposed to run there or, or work out there. And so... Uh, you know, there's this sense of sacredness, this sense of holiness about that cemetery. There's also uh, maybe things tying into like a national monument to celebrate a nation and our heritage and our uh, who we are as a country. Uh, people have feelings of awe and reverence around these sorts of places. Now, I agree all of these things, you know, cathedrals and big buildings and cemeteries and monuments, they are all special and they're all worth remembering, but I actually think the Bible presents us with a different understanding of holiness. And I hinted at that already. It means holiness means to be set apart, to be set apart. Uh, and I think it, holiness actually looks a little bit more like this sign that some of you may have seen driving around Massachusetts. Uh, it says out of state visitors are urged to self quarantine for 14 days. Out-of-state visitors are urged to self-quarantine for 14 days. I saw this sign hanging over Route 3. So Governor Baker is urging anyone coming into the state to, uh, to not mingle and mix with other people, to not uh, go shopping, to not uh, get out there, but really to, to self-quarantine for two whole weeks so as not to transmit disease from uh, some other state. I actually think that's a pretty good picture of what it means to be holy, to be set apart. To be holy means to be distinct, to be separate. In the, whole, in, in the Old Testament, we see holiness vividly demonstrated in some of those Old Testament laws. Uh, Terry has been teaching through the Old Testament, going through some of those laws. And, uh, you know, some of the laws, if you read through them, people, men and women, had to physically separate themselves from the camp because they were unclean or unholy for skin reasons or other medical issues or, or whatever. They touch a, touch a body. And, and so to be uh, pure meant that you had to, if you were unclean, you had to separate yourself. So there's this idea of purity and impurity, clean and unclean, holy and unholy. And that's like what we're experiencing right now, today. Some people are sick and some people are not sick. And that's the idea of holiness, that there's this separation between those who are healthy and those who are not. And I want you to pause and imagine for a moment a sign like we just looked at, a sign hanging over a roadway. And this roadway uh, is, is headed up towards heaven, right? You can see heaven in the distance, the golden gates, the golden city, and there's this sign over the roadway that says perfect spiritual health required. 
all others self-quarantine for all eternity. So perfect spiritual health is required to get into this golden city. All others have to self-quarantine for all eternity. See, that's what it means to be holy. We have to have perfect spiritual health, no sin, no impurity. We can't have spiritual sickness or disease. We can't have sin on our record. See, if we were to encounter God right now, we would be overwhelmed by his holiness. We would be completely devastated and dismayed by who he is. We actually find this in the Bible of a man, a prophet, encountering God and being utterly dismayed by the, the character and the holiness, the, the set-apart nature, the just absolute distinct goodness and power of God. So the prophet Isaiah had a vision of God, and he sees God seated on this throne, high and exalted, uh, above everyone else. And the, the train of his robe fills the temple. We just talked about the temple in our children's moment. And God is surrounded by uh, seraphim, which is a type of angel. And even though these angels are pure beings, much better than you or I, they actually cover their faces. Some of their wings, they cover their faces, and some of their wings, they cover their feet. Maybe it's because they couldn't see God's holiness because he's too bright, too glorious. They didn't dare to look upon God. Perhaps with the feet, it has something to do with the feet being places of dirt and uncleanliness and impurity in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Even today, we know that if you walk outside with your, your sandals and it's raining outside, your feet are going to get muddy. Right? And so they, they're kind of covering their face, their eyes and their feet, and they are singing. They are shouting. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, you may remember, this was a while ago, but I preached from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And this talks about uh, when the believers in the early church are praying. And what actually happens is the, the building where they are praying begins to shake, begins to shake. And what did we just read in verse 4? It says that the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke because God's presence was there. Right? God's presence was there. In the temple with Isaiah, so the, the temple shakes. And then in the early church, you know, the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. God's presence is there. And what happens? The building shakes where those believers are. Uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit has come. And how do we see Isaiah react? He says, woe to me, I cried. He's crying. It's like, woe to me, I Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King of, uh, seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wow, what a powerful response to the holiness of God. Now, is holiness something we think about very often as people today? I don't think so. I think we, we tend to uh, forget about holiness. Or if we think about holiness, we think about it in terms of our own personal holiness. Like, if you feel good enough as a person, do you feel good enough as a person? Maybe you can answer that in your own mind and you think, yeah, I'm a good person. I, I self 
quarantine, right, during this COVID pandemic. I'm not putting others at risk. I, I donate money to the Red Cross. I, I, I care about other people. I'm nice to them. Well, God will let me pass into heaven, right? Well, actually, you're wrong. But there's hope. You're wrong, but there's hope for you. But maybe you're on the other end of things. You, you feel so unholy, so unclean. You feel like those dirty feet. You believe God could never accept you. God could never love you. You're too filthy. Well, you're also wrong. There is a way. There is hope for you too. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they actually help us understand the holiness of God. They help us understand God's holiness the right way. That God is utterly good and we don't deserve to come into his presence. But yet God makes a way possible. So first I want to talk about us actually underestimating God's holiness. We underestimate God's holiness. And if, if we think we can be good enough and enter into his presence or get into heaven uh, just based on who we are as people, then we're underestimating God's holiness. Ananias and Sapphira do not take God's holiness seriously enough. See, we're supposed to worship him with awe, with reverence, with respect. That's what it means to be holy, set apart on the throne. But that's the exact opposite of what Ananias and Sapphira do. See, in their worship, what do they do? They lie and they test God. And, and that's not what we're supposed to do as we come before God in worship. They underestimate God's holiness and God judges them. They actually lose their lives because of this. Now, you might be thinking, the punishment doesn't match the crime. Why? You know, they, they, they tell a white lie. Why do they get judged? Why do they end up dead? Well, if it helps if we look at kind of the context of Acts and what's been happening, and this will function as a good review for us in this series. See, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, after his ministry, has ascended into heaven to rule over the church and its mission. That means Jesus is in charge. He's orchestrating what is taking place. And then in Acts chapter 2, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to fill and empower the church. So Jesus is ruling and he sends his Holy Spirit to come. And then Acts chapters 3 and 4, uh, we see evidences of the Holy Spirit's power in Peter, John, and the church. As they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they can perform miracles, they speak in tongues, uh, Peter preaches, people come to know Jesus. So it's this amazing moment in the life of the church. Jesus has ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit, and things are happening. And then what happens? <laughs> uh, the believers are there, they're gathering, they're worship, they're giving to each other. We talked about the building shaking, right? God's spirit is there. It reminds me of uh, the ventilation shaking at Cornerstone sometime when the heat kicks on or the cool air kicks on. Like, you know, something's there. Well, we know that God is present in his church. The building is shaking. It doesn't mean that when we worship somehow we should like shake our bodies. No, it just means God's presence is here among the believers. And then something special is happening. Because God's presence is there, the people are selling their possessions and giving to each other. And we would have just read that if we had read the text right before ours in Acts chapter uh, 4, actually. Uh, but I want to just kind of do a recap, focusing on one special man who was especially giving and especially kind. His name was Barnabas. And he was just an encouraging guy. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The apostles were the 12 disciples, those people that God 
has placed in charge of his early church through Christ Jesus. So Barnabas, he's a man who had a heart changed by God. He had encountered uh, the, the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, and it just completely changes his life. He wants to act like Christ did and give to others. And uh, people are recognizing his generosity, right? He sold the field. He gives up what belongs to him for the betterment of others. Uh, and people recognize it, and some people, they get jealous, right? And I think we can all relate to this, where we see someone do something good, and people are, like, patting them on the back, and they're getting some praise. They're getting some acknowledgement, some recognition. You're like, well, I've done stuff like that. No one noticed me, right? Uh, you're like, well, maybe I should do something else so that people will really take notice. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they take that to the nth degree. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they hatch a plan. We will sell our property. <laughs> we will sell it and we will give much of the money to the apostles and we'll actually say we're giving all the money just so that we look really good. But we're going to keep some back because, you know, well, we don't want to lose all of our money. Money is important. We need money, especially, you know, the church in Jerusalem. It's probably going to go through a hard time here. The authorities don't seem pleased with us. So we're going to keep back some money and then maybe we can even give money later. I mean, this is a good thing that we're doing, right? So somehow they, they justify themselves. They justify their own thinking. Uh, and they hand over the money. It reminds me of those times we ever see when like people donate to charity and there's like a news conference, there's a press release, and they hand over one of those really large checks and they, they hand it over and then they, they take the pictures and they smile. Uh, this kind of reminds me of what's happening here. And you got to wonder, like, is the, is the charity, is the act of charity really about the donation and helping out this organization? Or is it more about the, the person who's handing over the giant check who wants to be acknowledged? And so we see the consequences of this in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for your land? Didn't it belong to you because before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. It was not wrong for Ananias and Sapphira to keep back some of the, the money uh, from selling their property. But it was wrong for them to lie and say that they had given it all. See, this is a symptom of a much deeper problem, a heart problem. Uh, and I don't think they probably even recognize the consequences. See, uh, the Holy Spirit, just like we've been talking about with Monica's illustration with the Holy of Holies and the High Priest and the train of the Lord's robe filling the temple and God's presence filling his church. Right? There's, this, there's this story here that God is filling his people, that God's presence is residing in his, his gathering of believers, his church body, and this is his new temple. This is his new home. And what does Peter say? Peter says, Satan has filled your heart. That means Ananias and Sapphira have actually introduced the presence of Satan into a holy space where God's presence is. It's like, it's like God owns a house and he invites all of his friends over. And one of his friends brings Satan, <laughs> brings Satan into the home. I, I don't want to use this illustration flippantly, but it's like someone 
introduces, uh, in, intentionally introduces COVID into a nursing home, right? It's so wrong. It's so evil. Uh, it brings death and destruction. God won't have any of it. God loves his people too much. He cares too much about his people, the church, his temple where he resides. And so uh, we're reminded just how important our gathering of believers are. We're the temple here today as well. Now, we're not gathered together in person as a congregation, but through the live stream, we're able to uh, kind of uh, gather as the church, right? We're, we're taking a moment where we're coming together to worship God uh, together spiritually, even if physically we're not apart, and uh, if we are apart. And, and, and here we see in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to show you a verse where it really talks about us as the congregation being the temple of God, the church body being the place where God's glory resides. So talking about the church in Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, it says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Right? We get this image, image and building uh, imagery. Uh, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being, being built together to become a dwelling in which God's, God lives by his spirit. See, Ananias has, has, um, has put a, uh, uh, a brick in the wall that is uh, made of clay. Like God is building this new temple of sturdy stones of people built in Christ, with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And here Ananias comes along and tries to build that wall uh, with a stone made of clay. He tries to uh, bring in uh, insecurity, and, and, and he really puts the whole uh, community at risk. He puts the whole church family at risk. And uh, part of me wonders, like, was Ananias a Christian? Was Sapphira Christians? Like, Peter says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, or uh, filled with uh, Satan. So, to me, that means maybe he wasn't, right? But uh, some commentators think they were because they were acknowledged that they were indeed part of the church community. So, the scriptures kind of leave this up to God, <laughs> not to us, and that's probably a good thing. But I think it should give us pause. Right? Because if they were a part of the church family, that means they, by all outward appearances, look like everyone else in their church. And, you know, they are, they are someone's that we would probably judge as, oh, yeah, they're a good Christian family. And yet, Satan still uses them to do his bidding. <laughs> Satan still manages to get in there and fill them up. <laughs> and and to, 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 to use them to lie against God. And they give in to their own sin, their own flesh, their own jealousy, their own pride. And that should, that should make us tremble. You know, that should make us pause and say, you know what? Uh, I'm no better than Ananias and Sapphira. So I need to examine my own heart. I need to be careful and to make sure that I am walking the way of Christ Jesus, and that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, not with Satan. I had this like kind of silly imagery um, uh, this shout out to Bernie. This reminded me of something like maybe Bernie would come up with, just because Bernie comes up with these brilliant images. Uh, you know, sometimes kind of silly, right? The chocolate bunny, that's hollow, right? Sin looks so good, but it, it, it's hollow. Uh, so this imagery I had was of trying to walk a dog, right? I'm seeing my neighbors walk a dog all the time uh, down our street, and it's always one owner with with one or two dogs, right? And each dog has a leash. But what if 
what if you were walking your dog and then some stranger comes up and, and puts a second leash on the dog and tries to walk the dog somewhere else? Like that dog would be so unhappy. The owner would be unhappy. It wouldn't make sense. And when we live lives and we kind of give into our sins and we, we allow our lusts and our jealousy and our pride and our anger to take over, it's like we're allowing ourselves to be walked by a different master. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. It's not how it's supposed to be. And so this causes us to, to, to just pause and ask God to say, Lord, would you walk us, right? Would you lead us? Would you guide us by your Holy Spirit? Take us in the direction that you want us to go. Ananias' sin is not just a little white lie. He lies to God. And this is actually Acts 5. Sometimes, um, you know, I don't really talk about like big theological concepts all the time, but there is this kind of cool theological concept here that uh, sometimes we wonder, is the Holy Spirit like God too? Like, how does that work? You know, we have this big doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God, but, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But one of the reasons we know the Holy Spirit is actually God as well, and not just some other being, is because right in this passage, to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. And this is one of the ways that we know that the Holy Spirit actually is God. And here we find uh, in verses 5, 5 through 6, when Ananias heard this, we find the consequence that, that God gives Ananias for lying to him. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. See, if we think God's judgment is too harsh, we underestimate God's holiness. And so I want to ask you kind of a, a hard question. I'm asking this to myself uh, first. Where are you underestimating God's holiness? Where am I underestimating God's holiness in my life? And the things I say and the, 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 the things I allow myself to dwell on, the things that I um, put into myself and into my heart, the way I worship. Right? Is the way I worship more about myself or is it more about who God is? And so I think if many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, that we have moments just like Ananias and Sapphira, like we do, where we do things to look good. As a pastor, that's especially tempting, right? To, to say a prayer, to say someone, oh, I'm praying for you, just so that they will know, oh, you know, the pastor's praying for me, and that I look a little bit better, right? I look a little bit good. And, and that's just like a confession for me, but what about the things in your life? Like, what comes to your mind of little things you do in order to... To, to look better, so that other people will think more highly of you. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we need a quarantine. Uh, but the quarantine that we would have to, to, to take to be able to enter into God's presence, holy and pure, uh, would take an eternity. We would never get there, because time does not right all wrongs. Time does not right all wrongs. Uh, see, we overestimate, or we underestimate God's holiness, and we, all, we actually overestimate our own goodness. And I want to talk about Sapphira now. I want to get to the hope, but the hope's coming. First, we've got to talk about Sapphira. See, Sapphira is like someone who uh, is coughing and sneezing and not washing their hands or face mask. Uh, they think, she thinks she's spiritually healthier than she is when she is actually spreading the disease. See, Sapphira overestimates her own goodness. Acts chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? 
Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Peter tells Ananias, you lied to God. And to Sapphira, he says, you tested God. And there's like a small distinction there, right? We test God when we, when we think we're better than God. When we think we know what's really, what's really right and what should really take place. And so we tell God, God, I want it to be this way. And if you don't do it my way, you must not be God. <laughs> you must not be good. Wow. Like, I can, all think, I can think of times where I've done that, right? We're, we're testing God. We're telling him, prove yourself. Do it my way. Instead of saying, Lord, this is how I would like it but ultimately your will be done. And what Ananias and Sapphira are ultimately doing is they are testing to see if God's Holy Spirit actually resides in his new temple, the people of God, the church body. They're actually uh, putting God to the test to see if his presence is there, if this really is the holy of holies. They are testing God to see if he is watching and listening and if they can get away with sin. And the only people that this puts at risk is themselves. It, it does put like the church family at risk as well, uh, which is why we don't want to follow in the footsteps of Ananias and Sapphira. But it, it puts their lives at risk. The town I grew up in had a pool, and there's a there's like the, the lap end of the pool. Uh, this is Estes Park, Colorado, and there's like a deep end uh, to this pool where there's a diving board and a rope swing. It was a lot of fun. And it was separated by this like walkway. And if you've ever been to some of these pools, you know that these walkways actually have a space where you can swim underneath the walkway. Uh, and so growing up, like occasionally when the lifeguard wasn't looking, we would essentially test the lifeguard by swimming underneath, <laughs> by saying, hey, can we get to the other side without the lifeguard noticing? But there's a reason that you're not supposed to swim under those things, right? Because you can, you can panic, you can get disoriented, you can drown. See, the, the people that we were putting at risk by testing the lifeguard was actually ourselves. We're putting our, our, our own lives and our, the, the kind of the, the greater life of our family uh, at risk. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira are here and they're doing. And we don't want to do the same thing, right? We don't want to test our eternal lifeguard. We don't want to test God. And we actually find stories in the Bible of other people who test God and it does not go well for them. Maybe you remember the weird story of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 5. Aaron has two sons named Nadab and Abihu, and they offer unauthorized fire before the Lord at the tabernacle, and he consumes them with fire. And we don't know exactly what that means, but God had just given all these instructions for how to make offerings, and instead they do it their own way. They worship God their own way, and they die because, of it, because they are not treating God with the holiness and the respect he deserves. God was doing a new thing in the life of the temple, a new thing in the life of the people, and they ignore it. And actually, there's some similar verbiage. Uh, Moses instructs two young men to carry their bodies out of the camp, just like Peter does with Ananias and Sapphira. So uh, there's like this imagery that's continuing from Nadab and Abihu to Ananias and Sapphira. And then later on, pre uh, Mark preached on this a couple weeks ago, and I was so excited about the tie-in, just the God thing. Uzzah, remember Uzzah and the Ark? When King David brings the Ark uh, of the Covenant back to Jerusalem on a cart, it's led by oxen, and the, the cart shakes and stumbles, and the ark's about to fall off, and Uzzah reaches out his hand and to study the ark. He touches the ark, and God strikes him dead. 
the Ark of the, the Covenant was this golden chest where God's presence resided, kind of like a throne or footstool. There's cherubim on top of it. See, it's supposed to, to mirror that Isaiah chapter 6 uh, uh, throne. It's representing God's actual throne room. And, uh, and, and it was holy because God's presence resided there. R.C. Sproul, he's made this comment about Uzzah that is, is like moderately famous. <laughs> he said, Uzzah presumed his hands were cleaner than the dirt God, and God said no. So Uzzah presumed his hands were cleaner than the dirt. God said no. So he assumed that like, oh, it would be worse for this ark to get dirtied by mud than for me to touch it. But mud is just mud. There's nothing sinful about mud. Except you and I, like, we actually sin. We actually disobey God. There are things that were in Uzzah's heart that were much more impure and unclean than, uh, than, the, than the mud. And so that's why God struck him dead. He overestimated his own goodness. For my birthday, my, my grandmother-in-law gave me this book called The Amazing Book of Useless Information. She gave it to me as a joke. Uh, but joke's on her because I'm using it as a sermon illustration today. Apparently, there's a whole useless information society, and I just wanted to give a shout out to Andrew, because I feel like you might really like signing up for this useless information. I, not because you have useless information, but I, just, I, find, I think there would be a passion of you discovered in this uh, society. So, some information I found in this book. Did you know that Queen Elizabeth I regarded herself as a perfect example of cleanliness, and she declared that she bathed once every three months, whether she needed it, or not. She bathed once every three months, whether she needed it or not, and she's a perfect example of cleanliness. Or in her lifetime, Queen Isabella of Spain bathed twice. Wow. <laughs> right? These two women, these two monarchs, these two queens thought they were pure. And they probably thought they smelled fine. Uh, maybe there's some other reasons. But they're they're stained by uh, like their own stink, their own their own dirtiness, their own filth, and that's an example of us. Right? We think we're good, we think we're pure, we think we're holy, but there's something going on inside of us that that makes us impure, that makes us unholy. And sometimes other people can smell it, <laughs> and we can't. That's why we need our church family to help us. I think it's interesting that this COVID virus, like you can have the virus and not even know it. You can be passionate to people and not even know it. You can have it for five days before symptoms even start to appear or even longer. Isn't that a powerful illustration for sin, right? Like we don't know we have it sometimes, but we have it. And it, and it, and it puts our lives in danger and puts the lives of others in danger. And sometimes those symptoms do appear. We do begin to see things like selfishness and greed and pride and lust and, and wanting things our way instead of wanting things God's way. And it's deadly. Sin is deadly. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, my family, my church, this is why we need a Savior. This is why we need a Redeemer. This is why we need someone to come and pay the penalty for our sins. See, this is why we need uh, we need a Barnabas. See, Jesus Christ is the original Barnabas. Barnabas is, Barnabas is someone who sold his property and gave it for the betterment of the church. Well, Jesus gave up the prestige and the honor and the throne room 
of heaven. The Son of God stepped down into our world. Uh, and then not only did he give all of that up, he, he laid down his, his, his own life at the foot of the cross, at, at the foot of his Father as a sacrifice. Jesus is the original Barnabas who gave everything for you and for me. This is the gospel message that you and I who are people of unholiness and impurity can become people who are completely holy as we are caught up in the Barnabas of Christ Jesus, as we are caught up in the goodness of who Jesus is. Jesus sacrificed himself and gave up everything so that we can have life, so that we can have goodness and grace and be forgiven for our unholiness. See, we underestimate God's holiness, we overestimate our goodness, and so we worship and we ask for grace. We worship and ask for grace. Look at the church body in verse 11, how they responded. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. See, when we really understand who God is, it puts fear in our hearts. And if you have gone through life thinking you are good enough and God will accept you because you self-quarantine and you give to the Red Cross, you are kind and you are caring, this passage, the story of Ananias and Sahara, helps us realize that we are not good enough. Sometimes we do those things for our own pride, for our own ego, so that we will look good before others. And even if we did do them with what we consider to be impure motive, uh, pure motives, only God can really judge our hearts, right? He's not, he's not as concerned about that outward action as he is on what's going on inside that's producing that outward action. Or if you've gone through life condemning yourself for the things you've done wrong, there's hope for you because this passage helps us realize that God wants our hearts. He wants true and authentic worship. God still wants us to do those wonderful things, good, good deeds, serve and care for other people. But the story of Barnabas really shows us that like, here's a man who was changed by Christ and, and lived out a life of, of giving and generosity because of what Jesus had done. And so what do we do? We, we worship God. When we see God's holiness, we just say, wow, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Would you forgive us, Lord? Would you have mercy? Would you show mercy to us? And that's what Isaiah does when he sees God seated on the throne. He screams, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He is confessing his sin. He repents. He lays his heart bare. You know what God does? Isaiah 6, verses 6 through 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, from the, with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, <clears throat> this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God shows mercy. An angel takes a coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's mouth with that He's going to be a prophet. He's going to speak truth. But he takes it from the altar, a place of sacrifice. And there's nothing in that heavenly altar, altar that, that apart from Christ could forgive this man's sin. See, the altar, I think, points forward to Christ's coming sacrifice on the cross. That coming moment when Jesus would lay down his body and his blood to pay the penalty for our sins. So even Isaiah is purified by the blood of Christ, by the altar, by that coming sacrifice. By, his, uh, by Christ's blood, his sins are atoned for. And so if you want Christ's sacrifice to cover you, worship and ask for grace. We underestimate God's holiness. We overestimate our goodness, so we worship. 
and we ask for grace. We ask for forgiveness. See, by God's by by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can enter into the holy place with Christ. We can enter into a relationship with God, and we become the holy of holies. We become set apart through Jesus. He makes us set apart by Himself first becoming set apart. And so I just want to leave you with this. We underestimate God's holiness. We overestimate God's goodness. And so we worship and we ask for grace. Let me pray. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we never do what Ananias and Sapphira did? Would we not be filled with Satan, but would we be filled with God's presence and God's power? Would God lead us forward? And Lord, we are going to fail. We are going to sin because that is what we do in a fallen and broken world. And yet we know that you are concerned with what's going on in the heart. You want to change our lives. You want to give us grace. That's why you sent Jesus. And so would you change us from the inside out? Will we never lose hope that you can forgive us? Will we never feel the terror uh, of, of a God that doesn't love us as we come to Jesus. If we are in Jesus, Lord, would we always recognize it, always feel it? Would you give us eternal life with him? Would you help us be like Barnabas, a man whose heart was changed and who loved others and was willing to sacrifice and give up things for others? And ultimately, Barnabas is just trying to follow you, Jesus. He's just trying to follow your way. Help us to be like that, especially uh, during this time of COVID, during the coronavirus, Father. Lord, would you remind us of the holiness that we have in Christ? Give us a healthy fear of you. Uh, and we love you and we respect you, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.